evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Bethel Radio Hour, where Bible study and radio collide. Tonight in our segments, we will be discussing Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, building the Mount Rushmore of books of the Bible, and continuing our talks about immigration. I'm Molly Kingston, your producer and fourth chair panelist. Joining me in first chair is Pastor Ben Kingston, Dad. What is the most absurd thing you've been tricked into doing or believing? I can't say that I was successfully tricked, but uh, when I was a freshman at Central Baptist College, me and Holly Merriweather now, that wasn't her name then, she's married now, we were voted most gullible. And so we were brought up on the stage at the winter harvest party, and they said, your grand prize is a trip to Hawaii, complete, you know, expenses paid. (laughs) Everybody cheered, and Holly went, (gasps) really? And I like, exactly, this is why I should not be up here, but she should be. So anyway. Awesome. Uh, in second chair is Dr. Gavin Hooks. What is the most of thing you have been tricked into doing or believing, Uncle Gavin? Similar to Pastor Kingston, but uh, I, I bought into it for a little bit. I got, we got a phone call in the middle of the night one time when I was a senior in high school. And it was, I know it was one of my friends who, who knew me well. But they wanted to tell me about a scholarship that I had won to a, a university, and that's yes. they were calling to let me know that I had won the scholarship. Oh no! And I was like, "Really? What, what, what college is this?" You know, I just kept, <laughs> I was like half asleep, and then it started dawning on me. Some this is three o'clock in the morning. Somebody's <laughs> pranking me, so yes. I, I finally just hung up on them. So if my friends out there, whoever it was, they never confessed. <gasps> shame on you! Shame on that's you! That's the best trick when you never get caught. Finally is Mr. Ryan Mayberry. What is the most absurd thing you have been tricked into doing or believing? So it was shortly after I started at the job that I'm at, and I was still low on the ladder, so (laughs) to speak. And uh, we had just started a job, and we needed water to mix the mortar with, but there wasn't any hooked up at the house. So the boss said, yeah, just run across the street to that house over there. We got permission. We can get water. So I go over and I start filling up buckets and as I'm carrying them back across, this lady comes out screaming at me, <laughs> what are you doing in my yard? I can't no. believe you stole my and I was, So that was an interesting day. You didn't, you didn't say anything when I used the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what he was going, you gotta pee in it. Right? Oh, man. Okay, those uh, in the audience, if you'd like to share your own answer to this question, text the number on the screen and I will share them throughout the show. That applies to any question or topics we discuss during the podcast, so if any time we're discussing something, you have a comment, please text that number on the screen. Also, if you are listening later online, please comment your answer on the Facebook post and then like and share so others can join in on the fun. I um, am woefully unprepared for this podcast tonight, so I'm afraid I don't actually have an answer. I also like to believe it's because I'm typically the one doing the tricking (laughs) or the making people believe things. So when I was thinking... Can we tell your uh, Ford story? Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and right now my mind's going blank on his first name. No, it wasn't Henry Ford. Gerald? Yeah, it was one of the presidents. So Gerald Ford had passed away. And uh, we live, uh, did, right next to the church cemetery. So one particular day, everybody's fixing to go outside, and there is a procession coming to the thing. 
And Dawn just wonders out loud, I, wa I wonder who's being buried. And Molly goes, duh, Mom, Gerald Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I just convinced everyone of importance was buried, buried in Bethel. Bethel Cemetery. <laughs> I mean, why not? Um, oh, we have plot. a message. Hold on. I'm Hold going on, to it. Says. This is from Randy Rayfield. Oh, Lord. <laughs> wait, wait. I better read that first. screen it. No, 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 no. I think... I think it's good. A friend left me a message to call a person called Myra Maines and left the number to a funeral home. I called twice looking for this person. That's fantastic. Myra Maines. I'm looking for Myra Maines. Have you seen him? Right. That's pretty good. Okay. Well, I'm going to move on with just a quick order of business. And if you still have something you want to text in, we will read those. Um, the Reed family is asking us to pray for them in an unspoken prayer request. So when um, the Lord lays them on your heart, please pray for them in their circumstances and situations. Also, um, our family member, Chris Kingston, is, I don't know if he's still in surgery or is out of surgery now. I would say he's still for, in um, It's a very intensive surgery, and so we are praying for blessings on the doctor's hands and that he recovers well. Um, it's a, it's one to do with his spinal cord and the baclofen pump. It's pretty intense. So please pray well, for him when God lays him on your heart. This is a patient. Chris has severe cerebral palsy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the baclofen pump helps, helps yep. with CP. So after putting a nice bedecked finish on chapter one in Ephesians last week, we are going to venture into chapter two tonight. So dad, would you like to kick us off on that? You bet. So uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is explaining to the Ephesians what God has done for all sinners in general. But now in chapter 2, he's telling the Gentiles what God did for them in particular. In this first section, the sinner who trusts Christ has been raised and seated on the throne. And that's from Warren Wearsby. And so what we're going to do is just take this in, in its sections. Uh, every time there's a comma, there will be a pause, and, and we'll just work through it. So Paul speaking here, verse 1, and you, so he's speaking to the Ephesians, the Gentiles, and you did he make alive. So we've already talked about all of the blessings that we get as a result of being a child of God. And then he says specifically, you did he make alive. So in parentheses I put here, how bad was it? Paul goes on to say, when ye were dead through your trespasses and sins, wherein ye once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the powers of the air, of the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also all once lived in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So this is the first section in that 1 through 10 that he's explaining to us how bad it was. Comments? It's yeah, a pretty, yeah. pretty daunting Once list. Once that pronouncement of death is made, I mean, there's not, we don't do any more testing after that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's bad. Yep. When the horse is dead, dismount. Get off. Yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> you look foolish. That, that, that's exactly <laughs> right. And, and, and they're, they're, you know, when you're dead and your trespasses and sins, the only hope you have is Jesus. And that's, of course, Paul is, is you know, making that point. But, but he, he really delineates each one of these. That this is what I'm trying to tell you, you know, that you once were like this. You walked the same way all the other sinners did. You marched 
to the beat of the drum of the Prince of the Air like all the other sinners did. I, you know, he just keeps listening. Zombie apocalypse. Well, and like you mentioned, it, this is to the Gentiles. So before he's speaking to the Jews, who from their beginning was God's chosen people, and God gave them words, he gave them prophets. But then the Gentiles didn't have that. Now, they obviously saw what God was doing in Israel, mm -hmm. but they didn't have God in their culture, like especially the one true God in their culture. So it was, a, we're taking a completely different background and then moving forward where the Israelites had to change, like take the old law and now realize that they're no longer in the law. They're in the law of grace. And so like we're just coming from different backgrounds. So we're trying to get two different people from different backgrounds and bring them into one collective body. Correct. And one of the, I don't know, we'll probably see this word before too long. Uh, the mystery, you know, w what was the mystery? The, the mystery throughout the Pauline epistles is, is that the gospel was always intended for the Gentiles as well. The Jews just fumbled it up royally. Mm. Uh, the Jews allowed themselves to get into a, a thing of bigotry um, and, and hated the Gentiles, hated the Samaritans, which were, you know, a, a half-breed of Jew and Gentile. And so... Um, Paul is, is I 100% I agree, and, and he's also trying to say along with this that he, he, I guess you could say he's trying to correct the error that the Jews had done by basically making the Gentiles feel like you were really never intended to hear the gospel. Yes, so many layers of this passage of scripture. Uh, Taking on what Molly was saying, the Jewish cu customs um, coming from the the, the tabernacle and the temple um, this is J. Vernon McGee's I, the contrast there God took living living organisms living materials and made a tabernacle that was not alive and in the New Testament he takes materials that are not alive and makes them makes a, a, a tabernacle that is alive mm. um, pretty good contrast and then the reconciliation that's happening at the same time so the two the, the Jewish culture and people are being joined now to that into actually being grafted into that organism that's alive that's the church so the, the dead materials are being transformed into a living uh, tabernacle or, or temple the old one based on ritual the new one of many sacrifices the new one uh, looking back to one sacrifice Correct. And, and of course the, the grafting of the vine you know Jesus is the vine uh, and, and the branch has to be broken to accept the new graft. And, of course, the Gentiles. Created, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the prince of the power of the air, that is a biblical phrase that is a direct reference to the devil, uh, Beelzebub, however you want to say it. And, uh, you know, another thing that is found in the New Testament is every time the word Jehovah is used, it's capital G, G-O-D. But then when it refers to the devil, it, sometimes it will refer to him as a the god, god of this world. little G-O-D. And so, again, you know, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You have no hope, again, outside of yourself or, or within yourself. You have no hope of salvation except Christ because you walked, just as all the other sinners at one time, to the beat of the drum of the prince of the air, and then he goes on, of the spirit that now worketh in the sons of disobedience. Now, who do you think he was talking about there? 
In other words, do you think he had some specific names in his mind? Because remember, all that they had went through, you know, they had been beaten up. They had been drawn into a almost governmental, you know, type court and, and accused of the most heinous crimes yeah. uh, for sharing the gospel. Um, and, and so I, I wonder if he's not basically trying to get them to see that the very people that harmed you, you were just like them at one time. Mm-hmm. And isn't that hard for us? You know, if, if we're not careful, we get our crusty, you know, uh, uniform on, and we think that we're above certain sins. Well, there, there, there's no such thing. Yeah, well, it's a lot easier to think nice. Like, you want to think good of yourself. You don't want to think bad of yourself. And so when you're comparing yourself to the sinner when you've been saved, it's an uncomfortable comparison. Very good. And, Ryan, you're just going to have to jump in if there's something you want to say. Oh, I just, uh, I think verse 3 is, like, the perfect summation of our uh, society right now. You know, uh, conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling of the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, children of wrath, just as the others. You see that, you know, there's any, anywhere you look, you can see, you know, narcissists going around telling you it's, you know, you have to agree with what I say or else, and then the weeping and gnashing of teeth commences in the <laughs> wrath described in verse 3. So it's very fitting for what we're facing today, and I thought it was interesting because at first when I read the section, uh, I was like, well, I mean, how am I going to, my first initial thought was, how am I going to comment on this? Because it's something I've heard a hundred times. But then I realized, well, that's just ridiculous for me to think that, because this is something that's foundational for all of Christianity. So why, you know, it's something that I really do need to (laughs) think about if it's going to be saving all of these people and their, and did save us and our lust and wrath. You better believe it. So for me, one of the most eye-opening things is for whatever the age is for each person where they come to the reality of, oh my goodness, my urges and appetites of the flesh will destroy me if I do not get control of them. And it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't feel so dire necessarily. Sometimes you have to, you know, not feel it, but think it. You got to torture yourself with the consequences. Well, you know, the country song said it best. If this is wrong, I don't want to be right. You know, that's how you feel when, when, when you desire yeah. to do those things. Right. And, and the, so the pleasure of sins lasts last for a season. But for a so season. it does last. There is definitely pleasure in sin. Yeah, yeah. there's no denial there. I, I, for the grace of God, there go I. My life would be ruled by the lust of the flesh and the fulfilling of desires. I, and going back to the time before I was a Christian, when I was seven, <laughs> <laughs> I, I could see how very easily my life would just be governed by that, me chasing one uh, satisfying experience after another. Um, so, y- yes, but for the grace of God, go I. So we get to the second part here, uh, how great a salvation. Aren't you thankful for these two words, but God. But God. That be, could be a T-shirt. Sorry. It could be a T-shirt. It could be a song. But being rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, so we're going to stop there just for a moment. Uh, so this is the kind of the next, uh, uh, the, the the next movement of the song. How great a salvation! But God, being rich in mercy for His great love, with He loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses. So again, we're without hope, 
and God had to reach down and quicken us. That's, that's the biblical term in the English language. He quickeneth us. It, us. it just means that he made us alive. What? I'm laughing at the, the, the this, lisp. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And the, this, it, it, if you remember in chapter 1, he also talked about Paul praying for the Ephesians that they might know the power that worketh in us right. according to the resurrection. And here he's explaining the, the dirty details that you were dead. And now you have life that's been given to you through the mercy of God. I think it, um, too, talks a lot about how we have a lot of verses and um, stories about how much God abhors sin and does everything he can to eradicate it. But when he is saving us, it's through love. Like, he loves us despite our sin. So he hates the sin. He cannot be anywhere near it, but even though we are in sin, he still loves us. I think that like to love something that is a part of something that you hate, to love an object that is in something you hate is, is very difficult and I think speaks to the torment that God went through in our... Maybe as a little precursor to the next few verses here, speaking right along those lines, uh, we're, we're, it's a grace, an act of grace that God does this. And the re I used to think, and it's just because of my thinking, I'm not blaming it on anybody, that God had a set of rules that if you follow these rules, you're going to be okay. If you break these rules, you're on my bad side. But that, that's not the case at all. There's a, there's a set of attitudes, actions, behaviors, beliefs that take you away from them. That's why he hates them. He hates them because they separate you from him. Amen. So it, it makes it perfectly, it, it makes good sense that he acts in, in, uh, the face of our sins to redeem us to him, hating the things that take us away from him. Right, and that's such a different way, I think, than from how most non-Christians and even Christians look at sin because a lot of times, you know, the whole God just doesn't want you to have fun, the fun-sucking part of it. No, Here's it's not because, right, exactly. It's not because he doesn't think he wants to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you with him. Yeah. And like you said, those things tear us away from him. James McDonald probably said it best when he said that uh, when, when you see a circle around something and God says, don't do this, he's not saying don't have fun. He's saying don't hurt yourself. And, and that's precisely why God says, no, you can't do that. So, so how did he do it? Uh, the next verse, he made us alive together with Christ. He, he, he chose for it to be so. When you and I, as a result of being quickened, brought to life, when we say, yes, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. I want that salvation. Then he makes us alive with Christ. By grace have you been saved. That was the parentheses in the, in the scripture itself. And raised us up with him. And, and again, this is a picture of baptism. And, and, and not just water baptism, but the Holy Spirit baptism. Uh, the Spirit baptizes us within himself. And so what's the result? He's made us to sit with him in the heavenly Places. Now, this is the first time in the book of Ephesians and possibly in the New Testament that it talks about the heavenly position. And, and this is something that's not talked a lot about. I preach about it quite a bit because it's been brought to my attention, I guess you could say, in the last 20 years or so. But this is a, uh, an otherworldly way to think about yourself. Uh, and, and it is scriptural. You see yourself seated inside of Christ safely in the heavens and and basically what paul is is saying is this is how god sees you god sees the finished product 
seated in his son in eternity, safe and secure. You and I, we see ourselves struggling and, you know, blowing it and this, that, and the other. Well, we should see ourselves in the same way God sees ourselves because who's more likely to get dirty, the person in the white tuxedo or the person in the bib overalls? Well, the person in the bib overalls. And so if we see ourselves as the finished product, seated in the heavenly, secure and safe, that gives us some confidence. I'm a finished work. Again, fighting from victory, not for victory. Okay. All right. I think we should end are we, are there for tonight. We'll pick up on verse 7, right, I believe okay. is where we finished. I did have a few texts that we'll use to transition um, to the next break, but uh, one of the one of the texts I got during that segment was um, I had mentioned how the different cultures and a lot of Gentiles did not have God in part of their culture. Um it was pointed out that some Gentiles, though, did fear the God of the Jews because they had seen and heard how a mighty army fell to them with little or no fighting, which it was, I guess it was no fighting if we're talking about Jericho. Um, and then the other message is about the first one, someone tricked, and, you know, you see uh, or you hear about tricks in videos, and you know, like, some of them are good tricks. They're, like, funny tricks, and then some of them are mean, and I think this one's kind of mean. So someone left a message on their wife's phone and um, basically was saying that his son had to go to court and pay $700 to the court or he would be arrested, but it was a trick. Oh, boy. <laughs> but that's, that's like I said, that's a mean trick. That puts you a... That was the night on the couch. Right, exactly. Well, so I don't think his wife was the one who tricked. Oh, it was no. like someone else texted his you. wife or like texted the, the couple. I got you. Yes. All right, so the next segment is, um, oh, Mount Rushmore. Of books of the Bible. Books of the Bible. And if you've got a Mount Rushmore books of the Bible, send it in to us. We'll read it on air. And again, this is just basically your top four picks from the books of the Bible. Who wants to be first? Well, let's have Uncle Gavin start us off if you would like to. Coming in at number four, the Psalms. Yes. That, that's the easy listening of Bible mm. verses. <laughs> right, yes. Wait a minute, you calling it elevator music? That's awesome. If you want, you want something to cheer you up, you want something you can relate to, you want something that's personal, something sure. that's... Um, I'll say it's not always cheery. Not always. True. But it's always honest. It's always yes. honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's sometimes good. guttural, sometimes... Yes. Uh, <laughs> so it's emotion-based, so you can yeah, connect yeah, with it. Yeah, it is. And not always a deep theological um, something to pick apart. It's just some some straight up motion, emotion mm -hmm. and how somebody's feeling. Number three, James. The uh, do you call it the Proverbs of the New Testament? It, was it you that called it that? It's no. got a lot of just straight up truths listed in it, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a really good compact book of wisdom for the New New Testament. Uh, number two. Uh, the Gospel of John, just for the pictures that it gives of Christ. Wait a minute, there's pictures in it? <laughs> yes, there it's is. a picture book for sure. The, the door, and that's my the book. shepherd, the, I'm messing with you. The, uh, and the vine. Yeah, you messed me up. So uh, the door, the shepherd, the vine, there's one more. I can't remember what the other um, picture of, of Christ is in there. And then number one, Genesis, what it's all based on. Nice. Ryan? I had a couple of the same ones, but uh, Genesis, because it gives us the, uh, the first look at mankind and how we got here, basically. Uh, Proverbs, because for me, that's the easy reading. You know, if you've got five minutes before you got to go out the door or something, you can pick it up, read a few yeah. verses, and it's hard to take them out of context from the other stuff around it, so Correct. it's quick. 
Yep. Uh, uh, John, because you mm -hmm. have to have one of the gospels in there if you're going to do a Mount Rushmore, and uh, oh, it's the one that trouble. everyone gets. Oh, oh, so you might the want preacher. to have <laughs> <laughs> I'll explain. Don't be later. judging my Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Go ahead, right? And then Romans. It's Romans, yeah. Romans a good one. Yeah. Well, so I'll just explain why I, I didn't <laughs> have a Out gospel. Uh -oh. Well, it was because I wasn't really going based on doctrine. I was going like to me, which ones you I personally trying to be spiritual. like. You're I wasn't trying, trying to be right. spiritual. Okay. I just talked about reading. And so my it. favorite, one of my favorite things to read is Psalms um, because I love poems. And so honestly, I wanted to write, I wanted to put just all of the poem, poem based um, books and I think I, uh, Ecclesiastes is another one on there that is a, a poem, mm -hmm. more of a poem book. I liked it. Vanity, I also, vanity. vanity. Yeah, all is vanity. All nothing, is vanity. Uh, nothing is new under the sun, and all is in vain. And there's a time to live and a time to die. And I, I kind of like the depression that it brings sometimes. <laughs> um, and then and go to Psalms. Get, get yes, go to Psalms. Out. Well, of course, we're doing a Bible study in Sunday school, and it talks from pits to praises. So it talks about the the emotional, the negative things that are going on, and then how God brings you from the pit. And you praise him. And then also, um, I bookended it with Genesis because of all the crazy stories in Genesis. And then Revelations because of all the, the crazy things predicted in Revelation. Yeah. And just the mystery of it. I feel like all of the other books of the Bible, they're not easily explained, but they do have explanations. Where like Revelation, there's still a lot of things that we simply just don't understand what John was trying to tell us. In, in, in like strictest sense. Like we yeah. know basically what yeah. that book is about. But there's still a lot of questions to be had and I kind of like sitting in, in the realm of questions and thinking about answers. You want to go home and rethink your life, don't you? <laughs> yes. So uh, I, I have Genesis also and I don't have a four to one or, or anything. I just, Genesis because of the building blocks, Ephesians because of the discipleship, Proverbs because of the wisdom, and then 1 Corinthians because of the inspiration. Uh, 1 Corinthians has always been a, a place of inspiration. It's the first book I preached all the way through here at Bethel, if my memory serves me, and it seldom does. Uh, but the um, Isn't the, it the oldest book of the New Testament also? You got me on that. It, it may very well be, but I do not know that. Uh, but the, That could be wrong. Yeah, 1 Corinthians is where it says that uh, he confounds... Uh, the wise with the foolish things uh, in reference to the ones that he chooses to preach the gospel. And even though that sounds terrible, it, I've always gained inspiration from that. Okay. Uh, we had an audience member text in their Mount Rushmore. So they have Proverbs um, on it, Genesis and John. So everyone agrees, I think, with Genesis. And then James, the book Very of good. James. And that was yeah, so Henry Frosser. Uh, six people so far, there's only about six books mm -hmm. that have been chosen, maybe mm -hmm. seven. Right. Cool. Which also, when I was thinking, I was like, this is kind of foolishness because there's a reason why every book in the Bible was picked. Sure. Every book sure. serves a legitimate and sure. necessary purpose. So to pick just four seems ridiculous. But but we got to do the Rushmore. We got to do the Mount Rushmore because yeah. you're stuck to, on it. Because we're trying to keep it alive. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, let's move on uh, to the mystery topic. So this week we are choosing between... <laughs> Dad and Gavin. Yes, Uncle Gavin and Dad, and that laugh was ominous. Brad, <laughs> if you would pull up our wheel of names so that we can see who gets to talk tonight. And it looks like it's going to be Uncle Gavin. 
You always sound so happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. That's the audience crowd there. This is, uh, so, so my mystery topic is, is angels, principalities, and powers. Mm -hmm. And this has always just been an area of speculation in my mind. It's not in anything that I can tell you. I know for sure this is the way it is. But just based on different sections of the Bible, uh, it's an interesting topic. So Daniel talks about when he's in the book of Daniel, it talks about when he started praying for God to reveal to him what this prophecy meant or this dream that he had meant. A, an angel or an answer was being sent from heaven from the day that he started praying. Hmm. And he got hindered by another prince. And Michael had to come and help him to get uh, the answer that Daniel was praying for to him. So the, the and it was the um, prince of the of uh, Persia, per Persia. Prince, of, yeah. prince of Persia was the the entity that was the enemy that, that came to fight. So here here's my question: If, if we have principalities, uh, I'm sorry, angels, principalities, and powers, do they have jurisdictions geographically speaking? So I they would, only right. I would call in 20 area if you want to call them. I would only think so simply because of God's love of organization. But we're talking about the other side now. Though. Yeah. No, well, I, but, I, but, I, but I still right. think the that there's, it's not just, so, right. So he created so the devil. Right, So, right. so okay. the, the so, devil has that yeah. DNA. Yeah, so that there's, there's still a yeah. hierarchy. I think yeah. there is a, some type of hierarchy and duties relegated to certain people. Well, okay, certain angels and princes and stuff of that nature. Right. So I've never heard it successfully argued that, that that's not how it is. In other words, that I, I and there are denominations that take this to a whole new level, and and they try to name this particular demon over Franklin County and this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. I, I think you can get caught up in that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it, you can go to seed on it. But with that said, I I do believe that that uh, it very much is organized. I believe there's a hierarchy. Um, so bringing it forward, mm -hmm. when. When we, when when the United States went to war, on the war on terror, was that entity assaulted? You see what I'm saying now? We've got our. Is there an American principality or prince of of the North America? Um, what kind of mix-up happens when when nation states move against other nation states? Is, are those principalities or powers involved mm. in those? I can't imagine they're not. Maybe oh, yeah, they're even the inspir inspiration for some of conflicts right. to just because the well, slaughter that takes place that probably is a credit to them. Right, right. But I don't know if they would be if, especially like most wars are fought over resources. So I don't know if it would, like I would assume that they would only be involved in wars that are over spiritual means. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if they would actually become a part of the war, uh, the, the worldly war, if it wasn't over something that God is, like, like the spiritual warfare mm -hmm. needs to concern itself with. I don't know if it needs to concern itself with our want of land or need of land and resources. Yeah, and I'm not sure that the physical side of it is what they're after, but they're after the spiritual side of putting people in darkness. Oh, so so okay. the, the curtain that was lifted in Iraq when America got in and 
people were able to read the Bible. And, and right. So, so that, that to me would have been an assault on a principality that's trying to keep people in darkness and right. And, okay. Uh, and what's the enslaved? Yes. Um, so, what? what I, I'm just curious if that spiritual uh, entity, principality, power, then moved to another area. It, mm. Or or attacked in a different way or counterattacked and like tied or like we, you said it, geographically are they yes. tied to that place yeah. or, or or they were they dislodged completely and now they're right. in Washington well, D.C. Oof! Shots fired. Um, but God placed an angel with a flaming sword in front mm -hmm. of Eden, mm -hmm. so they were specifically tied to the yeah, garden. True. So I mean that. Excellent point. Uh, you know, I don't Geographic know if it's correlation for, or whatever. For a purpose, yeah. Yeah. So, so when you say there's an evil principality in an area, what specifically do you think that they do that makes you believe that rather than... That story from Daniel is what I pr pr primarily base this line of thinking on that story from Daniel. And uh, Paul in Romans talks about uh, neither height nor depth nor principality nor power nor angels shall separate, shall separate from the love of God. Maybe another reference to it doesn't matter where you go nothing will separate you from God. There's no uh, country that you can go to that you can be separated from God. And, and again, this if we're keeping it in context with the angels' principalities, and if he's referring to geographical locations, I don't know. But that particular one, when he, he references the prince of Persia, so that's a geographical area uh, that the people of that time would know who, who it applied to. So yeah, that's what I'm based on. It's just that geographical assignment that that prince got. So I was just curious because I'm not opposed to the idea that you know demons stir tr stir up trouble more mm -hmm. or less, but I just want to know because if we're going to say that they're doing something, then what specifically are they doing? Kind of thing. But I was just curious. Countering everything that's God. Right. Everything represents God. Well, like I said, spiritual warfare. So you have two opposing sides at least in this one there's just two good and evil so the other side's going to be doing everything that's evil getting us to remain in evil so that the other side god's side will and not have getting it. us to go astray right um, exactly so. also it could do you think a lot of some of it not all of it could be because obviously there are angels and demons could be chalked up to just uh, our actions because certain actions can be good or evil without certainly involved. opens the door and i think that's the primary way that way that the the enemy gets us to trip up, trip, trip up is to willingly do something that's wrong, and then we're well, yeah, in his. They just watch us, and they know exactly they how to attack us. So, yeah. kind of temptation would be right. their main weapon. And right. the the other thing that's talked about in the New Testament is the the lighter day um, people will give way to the teachings of of demons or doctrines of devils is mm -hmm. what it's referred to. So so. They teach anything that's anti-God. They, they try to establish anything that counters what God has created and, ma and called good. And they try to, you, you can see the, the gambit is wide open for them to say, no, no, this is true. And it has nothing to do with truth or, or God or goodness. Uh, we can see that in our own society. Mm -hmm. People just claiming that, I, hey, I can say I'm, I'm a, a man bunny rabbit. Let's work backward for a moment, too. Uh, I think that you can look at the armor and the specific pieces that God gives us and know where the devil's going to attack us. Right. What, how he point. wants us to defend ourselves right. is how he's going to attack right. us. He, he's going to attack us in the area of security. Right. Are you secure or insecure? 
He's going to attack you in the area of righteousness, in the area of following the guidance of God's word, in the area of living out your purpose of sharing the gospel, in the area of faith, and in the area of the word of God. And so when you stand there clothed, of course, in Christ, you have the power to believe that you are secure, that you are righteous through Christ, you can follow the guidance of his word, and you can live out your purpose, which is to share the gospel. So the devil's going to be fighting all that. He, he, for me, I, I, I've pretty much connected that uh, a person that, that is putting on the armor daily, living out their spiritual gift and such, that, that's a discipled person. And that's the last person the devil wants to see show up because they know what they're doing, if you will. And, and they, they, they're, right. they're on task. But he still has some access to us in a way. Like, There's I'm no just doubt. thinking of Job. Like, yep. he he was able to... Well, he's the accuser of the brethren. Right, take away, and, you know, he killed all of his children and right. m- ruined his health and, and things and like that. And you can almost see that that was one of Job's insecurities because he yeah. constantly made sacrifices for his children. Mm, right. to, yes, so he did. Satan attacked him in that area. Okay, I love that mystery topic. I'm going to segue into our next break, though, with a text um, from one of our listeners, and it's their Mount Rushmore. Um, They have Genesis, Proverbs, and Psalms, just like we did, but their new Bible, or the different Bible, was Hosea, Um, and that was because many times it shows some of the same problems that we have going on. Very good. Not different Bible, but different book of the Bible. The different book of the Bible, correct. I thought you were going to say the Apocrypha or something. Well. (laughs) (laughs) I miss it. So this is the take it or leave it segment. Okay, so I didn't understand. So explain the take it or leave it. Oh, see, I, I had to ask him too. For. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Yeah. So I. So you just you just give us a scenario or something, and you then say, we have to decide it. if we want to take it or leave it. So if I say, Ron DeSantis for president 2024, take do it, you take it or leave it? Take it. Take it. Universe unanimous. Yes. Yeah. So so like that. I had to ask him to, Ryan. Don't feel gotcha. bad. I'll go last then because i got to yeah. come up with one. Yeah. Dad, why don't, why don't you go first? Well, so mine's so much more convoluted than that. Uh, <sighs> and, and it may be why Good. take it or leave it is confusing, okay? So this is pointed directly towards me so that I'm not shooting at anybody else. Take it or leave it. In my experience, when I'm not daily engaged with Christ, whether it be in the scripture, prayer, uh, time, or some sort of preordained good work that we've talked about today, it's not very many days that I get into the pretend mode. In other words, I'm no longer living my Christian life. I'm just mailing it in. Take it or leave it. So if you're not if you're in not the Word daily and praying, in the word, then some you are word, pretending. I'm pretending. Yep. Take it or leave so it. So true. So you take, take it. it. All right. Very good. Yes, absolutely. And if you're not intentionally, you know, of course our, our mandate is love. love. Love your neighbor and love God. If it's not, if what you're doing is not, you, you can't associate it with that. Yeah, you've left your purpose. Correct. <laughs> love You're is pretending. In, it's in, love is intrinsically purposeful. The purpose is the betterment of the other person. So, Man. you got one, Gabe? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, I just assumed everybody else would have this. Uh, daylight savings time. Take it or leave it. Leave it. It's easy. <laughs> so you want to keep it? Or no, you no, no, no. I want to take it away. So yeah, I want to get rid of it. I want it just because Craig want, doesn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> just because you want to be conscious. That's love. right. No, I, 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 I like it. I, I really do. I like it. But I don't have a problem to do. I, I don't care. I'm going to adjust. But, but, I mean, quit 
Why? <laughs> I'm going to say set your cotton picking alarm. I'm going to say leave it because who are we to command? You know, time to move forward <laughs> or backward. I mean, yeah. it's the same. It time We're Americans. Day. Yeah, you just go to work or come home a, like at a different amount of daylight in the day. I mean, yeah. it's, it, you don't have to change the time. Well, my my reason is completely selfish. It it helps me in hunting season. I, I prefer it big big time. But uh, like I say, it's selfish. So if if it helps everybody else, then Lord bless them. I've been confounded by it so many times. I, I just see and see it go, but I, I live it, live with it as it is right now. But yeah. prefer it. So you'd rather leave it? I've been an hour early to the events, and I've been an hour late to events in my lifetime. I'm just saying. <laughs> I just hate resetting all the clocks. I bought an alarm clock that did that, and then they changed the date of daylight savings time. How <laughs> so rude. once a year, my clock would wake me up an hour earlier or an mm -hmm. hour later. Right, That's yeah. On the wrong on day. On the wrong day. It's not today. <laughs> awesome. Have you been able to think of one, Ryan, while we've been talking? Hot dogs. That's like Hot dogs take, take them or take it. I'm gonna leave them. I can't can't do it. Hardly. Really? I, yeah. well, I'll eat just about anything, but hot dogs, for whatever reason, I'm just not a fan of. I'm only oh. gonna take them if they're not the all beef. I want the fake stuff. <laughs> Or nothing. I don't want the fancy beef ones. They're disgusting. I can eat all of them as long as there's green tomato relish on top of them. Yeah. I can eat all of them. Relish does or make cheese. them good. Stick it in, stick it in some uh, cornbread batter, too. Oh, I'll take it yeah. that way, too. Mac and cheese. Yeah. Chili mac. Come on, now. Hot dogs. I, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that <laughs> stuff. That's all we ate. <laughs> Seemed like. Arkansas and steak. chicken and rice. <laughs> no offense, Mom. I'm sorry, I was trying to make sense of a text. I didn't make sense fired. of it. You're just going to have to text text it again. That makes more try, sense. Try it again. Redo. Um, we're going to move on to the precarious moment. So I, I don't know if I mentioned, because when we were talking about Ephesians, it kind of hit me that our talks of immigration, assimilation, mm -hmm. kind of worked there because we mentioned two different cultures coming right, together. Right, right. And well, I mean, even if it's not just two different cultures in the Gentiles and the Israelites, but also just we humanity as a sinning as a si as sinners now have to be as assimilated into. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> there's a lot of s's in this sentence. Sinners really <laughs> to be assimilated into God's culture. Well, so very quickly before we get back into the S's, um, if you have come to our uh, wonderful podcast here for the first time, we are into the 14th chapter of the book called This Precarious Moment by James L. Garlow and David Barton. And this book is basically a, not attacking, addressing the six biggest issues that America is facing. And right now, immigration is certainly one of those, and that's the sec section <laughs> that we are in. So uh, immigration and the Bible, uh, starting in chapter 14, he's going to get into deep detail as to why some quote-unquote Christians support just complete open borders and they use Leviticus 19.34 uh, to get us into that. Now, I, I didn't mean to subvert no, what, no, no, where you were going. Okay, So that verse says, But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. And thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So uh, these two authors bring out very skillfully that the reason that uh, this verse has been used 
is obvious, the stranger that dwelleth with you. But the problem is, is that they're not properly uh, translating this verse. So that word stranger has more than one meaning. Now, to, to help you know, get this across, they use the word love within the Greek koine uh, language, which, of course, is the New Testament language that it was written in. There's four different meanings for love. Agape, which most people understand is unconditional love. Phileo, which is uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love. Storge, which refers to just familia love between moms and dads and children. And then eros, which, which is an exotic love. Uh, so now that's between a man and a woman type thing. So uh, they say here, so the English word love does not convey the full scope of the four different meanings. And if you don't understand which one is being used, you can completely misapply it, thus producing ridiculous results. It would be like seeing the verse, love your neighbor, and interpreting it as, have sex with your neighbor. Indeed, one meaning of love, but definitely not the one used in that verse. So too, the word stranger has multiple definitions that vary widely from our one English meaning. So before he goes deeper into that, he asks the question, to whom was the command given? Because if the command was given to the government, then this would apply, potentially, uh, to what we're trying to handle here with this immigration issue with open borders and the such. But in Scripture, this uh, command is not given to the government. It's given to individuals, if you will, individual families. And so then when you look at what the actual word means, uh, stranger here is properly translated proselyte. So in other words, here is a... Get, say again? Convert, too. Convert, yeah. Convert, proselyte. One in the same. I was just offering the... No, I'm with you. Yeah, because we use the word convert more than we use proselyte here, you know, in 2022. Right. With that said, uh, this is a person who was a foreigner, and they are in the country legally, and they have converted to Judaism. They have converted to the religion, if you will, of the Jews. And so God is telling his people, you are to love this person as if they are your brother, son, daughter, whatever, because they are. They have converted. Uh, they are one of God's children. Well, that, that's a completely different approach. And in fact, instead of now meaning that we're just to let anybody and everybody come into our borders, it's a closer meaning to what was first intended with immigration, which is assimilation. These people that are the stranger that refers to in Leviticus, they have absolutely accepted the, not just the, if you will, the religious side of it, they've accepted the cultural side of it. They've right. learned the language. Right. They, they wrote the list of customs, right. laws, culture, morality, right. religious beliefs, practices, and languages. They have assimilated. Comments? In, in, in terms of America, there's one uh, universally unifying cause that draws people here. And honestly, I think it's because people who live here understand that it's right and good to be free. And having experienced freedom, we believe it's right and moral for everyone to experience that. All of us agree on that. But letting everyone in, whether they're in alignment with that belief, 
is foolish right. because all of us can then lose our freedom mm -hmm. in, in pieces. Yeah. Right. That's right. Right. Step by step. Because like I said, in America, the foreigner then needs to be committing to abide by the Constitution and the laws, which are often God-centric and generally based on the Judeo-Christian ethnic immorality, mm -hmm. which is completely opposed to some of the immigrants that are coming now, like their beliefs, especially. They mentioned Sharia law multiple times in these chapters, and then there's others, too that when they come in with those beliefs and they're not willing to let go of those beliefs to become an American, then now we are butting heads and America is losing its foundation and its original belief system. Right. And so there needs to be a process, and at one time there was, to, to, I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but to ferret out those people. Because if they want to maintain what they left, they need to go back to what they left. You know? Yes. Um, and, and because... This place of freedom, and we can help them there. Correct. We we're not saying we we won't help them. Correct. But we can help them in their own country better. Correct. If you want to stay in that ideology, right. that's right. And I, I just I'm sorry. I want to say one last or read one last thing from the book about um, well-meaning Christians misapplying scriptures because we started off talking about how right. a lot of people use that verse Leviticus. Leviticus 19:34 with the word stranger in it, and it just says. Um, that when they do that, even if their desire is well-intentioned, the results will will be no more effective than trying to use a screwdriver as a shovel or a hammer as a sponge. That there are things that God designed to be done in certain ways and to try to do them otherwise would be ineffective at best and disastrous at worst. worst. And I think we're seeing how using, in this situation, allowing anyone and everyone to be a stranger and then to love them as that verse is telling them it, it is been destructive to America and its culture and in its um, laws. And I, I think the one thing that needs to be done too, of course, in love, but the folks that are wanting to use these verses in this way, you, you've got to ask them some very pointed questions. Do you take the word for absolutely at face value? That whatever it tells you that you're going to do it. All of it, not just this one verse. All of it. That's right. Uh, do, do, do you accept the word of God as your only rule for faith and practice? To my knowledge, none of the folks that are pushing this, because you go to the area of abortion, they're done. You go to the area of homosexuality, they're done. I mean, fill in the blank. And, and so you, you can't pick and choose to, to fight these battles because so, so, the, the same people that are arguing with this with us on immigration, they just absolutely refute the word of God in other areas. Right. So, you know, it, it just really kind of destroys the debate. Well, mm -hmm. it just shows them for who they are. Well, yeah. right. And they just try to use your own beliefs against you because sure. they they obviously don't believe in the Bible. Right. And even if you don't bring it up, they'll exactly. accuse you of bringing it up and then bring up some verse that they think counters without yeah. you even exactly. saying it in Makes the first their place. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Free freedom is a moral is a moral ideal, and it, it comes from our Christian foundation. Right. Our idea of freedom, the fact that we believe that God endowed us with freedom, all of that comes from our Christian foundation. To fight that is to fight freedom, to fight the, that truth. And if you say this, uh, this infamous organization called Freedom, freedom from Religion <laughs> uh, Society, they're they're fighting for slavery or enslavement. If you're fighting the the source of freedom, which is our Christian religion, you're you're fighting to 
to right. establish fighting uh, for slavery. Slavery. Right. slavery. Yeah. You're not for us, you're against us. <laughs> so the, the 15 and 16 is basically just, you know, undergirding this argument of the melting pot. Uh, Israel Zangwill, a Jewish immigrant to America, penned a play titled The Melting Pot. What he expressed about America in that play was the essence of the biblical view of assimilation. This is just one uh, excerpt from the play. America is God's crucible, the great melting pot where all the races of Europe are melting and reforming. Here you stand, good folk, thank I, when I see them at Ellis Island. Here you stand in your 50 groups with your 50 languages and histories and your 50 blood hatreds and rivalries, but you won't be long like that, brothers, for these are the fires of God you've come to. These are the fires of God. Germans and Frenchmen, Irishmen, Englishmen, Jews and Russians, into the crucible with you all. God is making the America. And then, uh, so, you know, he just basically supports all of that with proof about how important it is to assimilate. Uh, there's one, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, there's one, I think it's, is it Teddy Roosevelt that uses the word amalgamation? Right after it. Yeah, uh, but one of them uses the word amalgamation. So I looked it up. Uh, amalgamation simply means the mixing or blending of different things. And so it's another way to say assimilation. So we'll jump more into assimilation and then also the next few chapters, the founders on immigration, um, as well as early immigration in America. Next week, to end us tonight, we're going to have a word of wisdom from Uncle Gavin. Just one word. No, Just one word, yeah. Word. Or, or a sentence word. or two. All right, so I'm just, I, I have these little sayings that I write down, and don't take this too far here, but it's true. It's sometimes better to die in a battle than to live with the consequences of its loss. Knowing which battle should already be set in your mind. Which battles should already be set in your mind. Right. What hill are you willing to die on? All right. Thank you guys for coming tonight. Wait, wait, wait. Where was that Invite five years friends, into my marriage? <laughs> <laughs> Someone, I'm sure, go, said it to you. You just weren't listening. Sure. See you next week. See you next week.